If you're winning at work, are you winning at home? We answer that question next with my guest, Mark Tim, author of the book, Mentor to Millions, next on the podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, hey, my name is Joe Foley. And I really want to thank you for being here. This is a podcast about a journey of discovery. What I mean is, trying to figure this stuff out just like you, man. And you being here makes it even more worth a while. And if it's your first time for joining us, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I really, really appreciate. And uh, the next guest I have today, my guest, Mark Tim, he's the author book, Mentor to Millions. He wrote the book with his friend, Kevin Harrington, one of the original Shark Tanks, you know, the one on the ABC TV show, Shark Tanks. He was one of the original ones were on the TV show. Me and Mark discuss everything from parenting, family meetings. It's kind of interesting about family meetings. And um, we'll talk more about this. Actually, you'll hear more about this in the interview with me and Mark. About how important getting your kids involved in the meetings and make them feel important. And how that will affect them later in life. We discuss how, but not, how important a mentor is. We all need a mentor. And... I, I, I kind of think so, actually. When Mark was younger, he had a chance to work with one of the most, I would say the most interesting man, with the man of many different phrases and stuff like that, Zig Ziglar. Mark had an opportunity when he was younger to work with mom, Zig Ziglar, and Mark's, that was Mark's mentor. The most important thing we discussed was important, how important your most important relationship is in life. The most valuable relationship in your life is your family. It was a great conversation with Mark about parenting, mentorship, family, business, life, mentors, and all kinds of other things. Mark shared a lot of good information, so let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thanks for having me, Joe. I, I really appreciate being here. Excited to be with you. This is our second time together. <laughs> it's, yes. It's, it's fun to get to talk to somebody again. But I had, well, I had a quick question. I mean, looking up, because I got to look, you know, getting get involved into the uh, interview and stuff and look who my guest is going to be. And I found a YouTube video of you doing stand-up. How did that come about? I'm just kind of curious. How did that come about? I was like, I, I thought, that's awesome. Okay, so number one, if you're listening to this, Joe did not give me any indication that he had that data or he had that content. This is a raw. So I am the kind of guy that if I fear something, I must face it. And I've done a lot of public speaking in my lifetime. I've done a lot of stage speaking. But the one thing that I looked out there and said, I fear is stand-up comedy. The idea that you stood up in front of people and you were only as good as the next five seconds of content that came out of your mouth terrified me. So I actually enrolled in a curriculum that taught you how to be a stand-up comedian. And at the end of it, I actually stood on stage at Caroline's in New York. Oh, wow. And did a stand-up comedy. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm talking, I had people at my toenails. At the bottom of my feet was an entire row of people. There's 200 people as close to me as it's ever been to me in my life. And I'm doing stand-up comedy. And I did a 15-minute bit. And it was exhilarating. It was exhausting. It is something that I can 
and check off my bucket list. It's not something I'm ever going to do again. I'm not a stand-up comedian, but I survived it and I thrived in it. So I challenge anybody listening out there, <laughs> if you've got something you're afraid of, lean into it. Because if I can do stand-up comedy at Caroline's, you can do anything. Well, funny thing you say that Caroline's on Broadway. I've actually been there and sat in the front row. So I actually know how small that place is. And I, I mean, I had the light beaming on my forehead because I had my shave my head. I know how close you are to the, um, the comedian. Wow, I, that's awesome. That is really awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. It was terrifying, <laughs> if you want to know the truth. It was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> Well, you're a busy man. I know you have your hands on a lot of things. and You're a father of six. How do you do everything? Well, number one, uh, I'm sitting here talking to you tonight, and my partner in crime is sitting about five feet away from me. I won't uh, turn the camera on her right now because I did that earlier for you, Joe. But uh, I, I don't do it alone. I do it with a partner. And so, but I, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm the best version of myself when I am busy, when I am going full throttle, I mean, there was a time today, okay, this very day that we're having this podcast that I stopped in the middle of my day and said, I am crushing it. And I <laughs> high five my wife and she's here <laughs> to testify to that because not every day am I crushing it. Some days I'm getting crushed. So when I'm crushing it, I'm celebrating with those people closest to me. So I'm here to tell you that every day Mark Tim does not get it right. Every day Mark Tim does not crush it. Some days Mark Tim gets crushed. But when I'm crushing it, I'm celebrating it. And I'm really glad to be able to celebrate today, to be with you and say today was an awesome day to be Mark Tim. But it's not always easy to do that. And to be that, and I think it's okay for us to say life is tough sometimes. Life is not easy sometimes, and that's reality. That's true. That's true. I was wondering, too, how did your entrepreneur experience help you as a father? Well, I, I have to tell you that uh, for most of my life, the majority of my life, I thought that I was an entrepreneur so that I could provide. I told myself, I'm going to be an entrepreneur so that I can be the dad, be the husband, be the father, be the, you know, the guy that I was supposed to be on this earth to be. But I realized it was just a massive excuse. Like I wasn't the dad. I wasn't the husband. I wasn't the father that I was supposed to be because I, I thought that's what I was doing was being an entrepreneur. But when I realized that what if, what if the most valuable business, Joe, that you will ever own that you will ever be involved in, that you will ever be a part of, was the one you were coming home to, not the one you were going to. And a few years ago, I figured that out, that the most valuable business in the world that Mark Tim owned was the one I was coming home to, and it changed everything. And I started realizing that every single skill, every single mastermind, every single training, every single virtual learning that I learned was so that I could bring that home, so that I could be that dad, be that husband, be that father. That's when everything changed for me. And I can tell you that I spent the majority of my life getting it wrong. And that's the only reason that I can tell you right now what it feels like to get it right is because I got it wrong much longer than I got it right. 
And I'm sitting here also telling you that my daughter is calling me right now and I'm answering it and I'm giving it to my wife we're <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> because that's the kind of dad that I am. <laughs> so there you go. There's the full circle answer. <laughs> well, I was kind of curious, any influence in your life? You have parents, anybody, your dad, influence in life that helped you out to maybe help you be a better parent? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a super fortunate that so here's here's a funny story so i when i was a kid i had so i had great grandfather in my life grandfather and grandfather so i had two grandfathers and a great grandfather and i couldn't wait for school to get out because as soon as school went out my parents took me to my great grandfather and i spent a week and then my great grandfather took me to my grandfather and i spent a week with him then that grandfather took me to my other grandfather and i spent a week with him and I have to tell you, Joe, I thought I had the coolest parents in the world <laughs> who would allow me to spend three weeks with my grandfathers. Now that I'm a parent of six, holy cow, who would take one of my kids? Come on, I'll, I'll pay you to take one of my kids. And my, my parents let me go spend three weeks with my grandparents. And then two summers, I actually went back and recycled and did it again. So I spent six weeks with my grandparents. So I'm here to tell you that I'm a product of three really influential men in my life. My grandpa, Charlie, my grandpa, Bob, and my grandpa, Wade. And then I had a, a fourth man in my life that took me as a mentor when I was 18, actually 19 years old. His name was Zig Ziglar. So if you're listening to this and you've ever heard that name, at 19 years old, Zig Ziglar saw me on stage, came up to me and said, fly to Dallas, Texas. I want to mentor you. Well, guess what, Joe? I flew to Dallas, Texas. I had dinner with the redhead and Zig Ziglar. And for the next couple of years, he mentored me. And I am the man I am today, the father I am, the husband I am, because of those three grandparents, the three grandfathers and Zig Ziglar. Those were the influences in my life. And I recognize that now. And I'm so thankful to have had that. It's interesting too. I've heard a lot about him, Zig Ziglar. And all these um, really interesting things he says. What is the man Zig Ziglar? So Zig Ziglar impacted 250 million people while he was alive. And Joe, guess what? He never did a single podcast. <laughs> he never did a Facebook Live. He didn't even know that Instagram existed. He never did a single Twitter post because he died before any of that was a reality. He impacted 250 million people, one stage, one person, one relationship at a time. And the biggest thing I can say about Zig is he was the same man off stage as he was on stage. And the famous quote that he gave to me that I live by today, and it's why I can even be on this podcast today, is that you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. And if you really break that down and say, wait a minute, are you kidding me? You mean I can have everything in life I want? I just got to help enough other people get what they want? And the key to that whole quote is enough. So you can help one person get what they want and you'll get what you want. But what if you help enough? Well, what's enough? Well, you are in determination of what's enough. Joe, what's enough? Is enough people for 100 people to listen to this podcast or 1,000? Is enough for 1,000 or 10,000? Is it 10,000 or 100,000? You're in control of the word enough. So if you want to impact enough people, you can get everything in life that you want. 
And he was absolutely correct. And that's why Zig Ziglar impacted the amount of people he impacted is because he believed and lived that quote that you can have everything. And yes, I do mean everything in life you want. You just have to help enough other people get what you want. So if you're listening out there and you have a product, a purpose, or a passion, and you want the world to have that product or purpose or passion, the quickest way to that is start helping people get what they want. And if they get what they want, you'll get what you want. And that is why Zig Ziglar was influential. He was a Christian man. He was an amazing dad. He was an amazing friend. And he impacted my life tremendously. And I'm so thankful to have known him. And I hope and believe that just by being here in this podcast that I'm extending his legacy, and that would be awesome. Another thing I'd like to talk about a little bit is treating family like a business. I found that fascinating. I read the book and I found that fascinating, treating family like a business. How is that possible? What, what does that mean? Okay, so you're talking about my book that I did with Kevin Harrington, Mentor yes. to Million. And if you're listening to this and you have any curiosity whatsoever, you can go to get mtm.com because that is mentor to millions and it's a book about how you can scale business and scale life it's a book about how you can win at home and win at life and this is what i believe joe i believe that we were put on this earth to work and to be entrepreneurs so that we can use all of those skills to bring back home i I actually believe that every person listening to this podcast already knows everything they need to know to win at home. Yet many people listening to this podcast are getting crushed at home instead of winning at home. And so what I believe is that we were put on this earth to learn how to do work so that we can do the work at home that we need to do. And like, for example, I learned how to do meetings in business so that I could do family meetings at home. And one of the most successful things I ever did as a father was to hold family meetings at home. I believe that I learned in business that every single person had unique skills. I did the strength finders test. I did the disc. I did the Myers-Briggs. I did all of these things in business. And then I turned around and I did those things at home. And I gave my children the gift of knowing that they were all different, that they were wired different, that they were programmed different, that they didn't have to be the same, that they were uniquely created to be who they were. And that only came from my work life and I brought it home. So what I believe is that your family is the most valuable business that you will ever own, ever operate, ever even be given the opportunity to be a part of. It's your family. I believe you already own the most valuable business in the world. The question is, are you going to start running that family like they are? Are you going to start being the CEO of that family? Are you going to start leaning into the gifts that you've been given in work and start bringing them home? That's the question that you need to ask. It's not whether or not your family is the most valuable business. Every person listening to this already knows that. Are you going to lean into it and own it? One thing that's interesting too, you talk about family meetings. How is that structured? Like one person, the treasurer, one person, the president. How does, how does a family meeting work? <laughs> I got to tell you, when, when my wife and I started doing family meetings, we had kids that had never, like, I don't think I'd ever seen them do homework in their life. <laughs> and we started holding family meetings and all of a sudden they had more homework than I'd never known any kid to do. Like, because we held a family meeting, it's like, I got homework. Like, like we can't possibly do a family meeting because I got to do my homework. 
And so my kids were older when we started doing this family meeting concept and they hated it. They, they could come up with a million excuses not to do it. So my wife and I, we, we resorted to one of the most old fashioned ways of motivation. Joe, we unapologetically, unashamedly bribed our children. <laughs> like our children did not get a lot of sweets in our family. My wife is not a believer in unprocessed sugar. We didn't have ice cream. We didn't have cakes. We didn't have cookies. But when we had family meetings, we had smorgasbords. What is that? That's a s'more. If you don't know what a s'more is, that's a grandpa cracker with chocolate and marshmallow and all kinds of goodness smashed together. <laughs> and so at the end of the family meeting, you got ice cream, you got smorgasbords, you got things that you never got during the week. And so next thing you know, we went from kids hating family meetings to, hey, when's the next family meeting? Because <laughs> knew that the content in the family meeting was so much more important than anything else that we could do. So trust me, I had a friend of mine that took this concept and he had like two pages of agenda and everything was treasurer and secretary and you do this. And then he invited me over and those kids like carried me out and they like totally wanted to ship me off to South America. <laughs> they hated me because I'm the one who introduced them to family meetings. And so I'm like, David, you're doing this all wrong. You, you shouldn't have your kids hate family meetings. I say, you got to make it fun. So the next family meeting, they did this mystery meeting, which was mom and dad sat down and the kids came up with things for them to eat and they blindfolded them. And mom and dad had to stick their hands in a bowl and pick things out and, and taste them and tell them what they were. And the kids like had a blast doing that and they had so much fun and they laughed at them. And all of a sudden family meetings went from boring to cool and they went from non-relevant to relevant. So the biggest thing I can say is, is that most people, when I talk about family meetings and trust me, I say my wife and I, when we had our first family meeting, it was the first time in our family that we had ever intentionally sat down and said, who are we? What are we about? What do we stand for? And so I'm not talking about hallway discussions where you say, what are you doing tomorrow? What are you doing tomorrow? Or a dinner meeting that says, who's doing what tomorrow? What sporting events are we doing? I'm talking about a meeting where you sit down and say, why was our family created? Why were we put on this earth? And how are we going to accomplish that? That's the kind of family meeting I'm talking about. Make them fun. Make them memorable. Make your kids want to do them. And you will never ever, ever regret it. I'm a, I'm a parent, a co-parent of six kids. We only have two kids left. One kid is leaving for Embry Riddle in a, just a couple months. We'll only be left with one kid. Trust me, we miss our family meetings. We did them for years on Sunday nights, and we wish that we could do them again right now. That's interesting. Also, you, gave, you have six kids. You have six unique personalities. How do you, how do you blend that all together? It's just, I mean, it, it must be hard. Well, that's where we, that's why we started doing the dispersonality profile. The first thing we did was the love language. So Dr. Gary Chapman, if you've never heard of the five love languages, go to five love languages. It's probably .com.org. I don't even know what it is, but Dr. Gary Chapman, five love languages, it'll come up. And we learned that all of our kids have different love languages. That was kind of the beginning of giving permission to our family that we're all different. By the way, six kids, two parents, that's eight people in our house 
we had all five. <laughs> all five. So we actually did a Christmas. My wife is sitting here. She can attest to this. We did a Christmas one year where we did all five. You, you could only give a gift in the love language. So if your love language was, say, quality time, then you had to give a gift that said, I will spend quality time with you. If your love language was words of affirmation, we had kids that actually wrote letters to other kids telling them how much they appreciated them. So we did an entire Christmas where not a dollar was spent and every gift was according to your love language. And it, it changed our family. So we did, we did love languages. We did dispersonality profile. We did strength finders. We did, um, we did everything we could do to teach our kids that they were different. Now, the cool thing about family meetings is, is that the shyest kid had a voice and the most outspoken kid had a voice. That's the cool thing about family meetings is they learn they all had a voice. That, that was awesome. And I challenge anybody out there listening, if you want to do family meetings, make it a safe place. Make sure every one of your kids knows they have a voice. And you'll be surprised, the kid that never says anything, when they feel secure and confident, they'll speak up, and it's powerful. Can you share any stories that maybe with some of your kids, some of the meetings that they did speak up and they really touched your heart and meant something to you? Yeah, well, I mean, I can tell two stories. Uh, one is, is that uh, we, uh, we, we got involved in our family meetings after years of doing them, and we started turning the chair of the family meetings over to the kids. So that meant that the, the kids actually became the chairperson of the family meetings. So each kid got to actually be the chair of the family meeting. So we had kids that literally you wouldn't have expected to ever lead anything, and they were leading the family meeting. And then the other thing we did is, is that we turned our family meetings, and we said, okay, let's also, if we're going to have family meetings, let's have family court. <laughs> so what that meant is, is that if a kid screwed up during the week, we didn't punish them. We didn't yell at them. We didn't, you know, chastise them. We just said, you're going to family court. And our kids would a hundred times rather be spanked, <laughs> grounded, uh, punished over going to family court because family court meant they had to go in front of a jury of their peers, which was their siblings and their parents. And they had to say what they did, say why they did it, say why they weren't going to do it again. And then the jury decided their punishment. <laughs> and it was powerful. We had kids that begged, begged us not to go to family court. <laughs> they would do anything to go to family court. Punish me, ground me, just don't let me go to family court. And so, you know, so it can be so powerful because here's the deal. If you went to family court, that was 99.9% .9 of the punishment. Almost every time they had no additional punishment other than saying, this is what I did. This is why I did it. This is why I'll never do it again. And saying it in front of their siblings and their parents. It was so insanely powerful. <laughs> it's, just, it's very interesting. I never thought of it that way. And it, it sounds like it was very effective, too. Oh, super effective. Are you kidding me? For a period of a couple of years, we had kids that never wanted to do anything wrong because they didn't want to go to family court. But if it was grounding or spanking, no problem. They were willing to do it and willing to take the punishment. But family court, no chance. 
another question too, and I was wondering too, is another thing about winning at home. Any other tips you could share about being a parent and winning at home? Well, I, I think most parents are getting crushed at home in all fairness. I, I don't think there's a lot of winning at home that's taking place. I think if they're like me and my wife, we were winning outside of the home and getting crushed at home. We had confidence and clarity outside the home, and we had chaos and confusion inside the home. And so the, the, the big point that I would make is, is that what if you flipped everything on its head? What if you gave your family your first and your best instead of your last and your least? Yeah. What if you actually treated your family like the most valuable business on the planet? What if you actually believe that you already own the most valuable business in the world? What would you do differently? How would you do it differently? What would you, what would you prioritize differently? And that's really the question I ask. If you want to win at home, start treating your family like the most valuable business in the world. Start treating your family like the most valuable business on the planet. Start treating your family with the confidence and clarity that you have at work. And you'll start winning in ways you never imagined you could win. And I'm telling you that that follows through to your work life. It's not just in your family. You start winning at home. I mean, today, I high-five my wife and say I'm crushing it. <laughs> I, then I want to crush it at home. Like, it's a, it's a win-win scenario. But the book, Mentor to Millions, that I talked about, GetMTM.com, at the beginning of the book, it starts like this. I'm sitting at the end of my driveway and my driveway is about a third of a mile long and I stop because I don't want to go home. Now, the reason Joe, that you would not want to go home as an entrepreneur is because you lost your business or you went bankrupt. But that day I didn't want to go home because I had just unbelievably crushed it in my business. I had made the biggest sale I'd ever made in my life. I made 99 out of hundred decisions, maybe a hundred out of hundred decisions with confidence and clarity. And I was sitting at the end of my driveway, not going home, because I knew the second I went home, I went from a world of confidence and clarity to a world of chaos and confusion. And I didn't want that world to end. So I sat up in my driveway saying, I don't want to go home. And that was the moment that I realized I had my entire priorities upside down. I had my entire world upside down. And I had to make a change because that's not why I was put on this world. I was put on this earth to have relationships that were so deep that my teenage children would choose me to lead them to be the adults, that they would choose me to be their mentor for the rest of their life. I talk about that in the book, Mentor to Millions, because it's so true, you know, that that is why we were put on this earth, to lead our family, to be the CEO of our family, not just our business, and to be the chosen one of our kids so that we could parent them for the rest of our lives. So that's the difference. That's why I wrote the book. That's why I became the husband and father that I became. I had a quick question before we wrap up. I want a question about how important relationships for, for you, relationships with your family, relationships, personal relationships, and business relationships. I think that this seems that's very important. Oh my gosh, Joe. Like I got to take a deep breath on that question. Like at the end of the day, you can have all the money in the world. And if you're lying on your deathbed and there's not a soul next to you that you can say you're closest to and you have a relationship with, then you have failed. No money, no amount of money can buy relationships. No amount of money can buy quality relationships. 
And I, I believe that we were put on this earth to have such deep relationships with our, hus- our wives, our husbands, our children. You know, teenagers, I get to talk. Sometimes I go on podcasts, Joe, and I only talk about teenagers. There are podcasts out there that are just talking about teenagers. And I believe that teenagers are put on this earth to test parents. <laughs> they are. That's their job. Their job on this earth is to test a parent. Guess what the job of the parent is? What's that? To pass that test. It's to pass that test. It's to not fail. Because if you fail, then they'll choose someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at it like this. Joe, you're a dad, okay? Yeah. There is a time in your life where you're, it's a, it's a son you have, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. he's, he's seven. Seven, okay. Yeah. So you still remember. When he reached up and grabbed your hand for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. No, no parent forgets that. Well, guess what, Joe? There comes a point in time where he lets go of your hand, and the last thing on earth he wants to do is hold your hand. Like the last thing on earth he will be caught doing is <laughs> holding his parent's hand. No chance. Not going to happen. Okay? <laughs> but guess what? What? There's a second swing at that bat. There's a time in a teenager's life where if you do this relationship right, if you dig a deep enough relationship with your teenager and you pass that test, they will choose to hold your hand for a second time. And as awesome as it was to feel that hand in in your grasp, that little tiny baby hand the first time, when they choose to take your hand the second time, it's a hundred times more powerful. And you know why, Joe? Why? Because when they take your hand the second time, it means they say, I choose you. I choose you to teach me to be the adult that I was put on this earth to be. I choose you to be the mother. I choose you to be, teach me how to be the father. I choose you to teach me to be the, the friend, the sister, the brother, the coworker. And guess what, Joe? You get to be their parent for the rest of your life <laughs> if they choose you the second time. That's amazing. That's, that's if awful. If they don't choose you, they'll choose someone else. They'll choose a, another person, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, uh, a friend's parent, uh, a coach, uh, whoever. That Maybe they'll choose something even worse. They'll choose a, a drug or a substance. And say, hey, I choose you to lead me to be that adult. And then you watch your child struggle for decades. So you talk about relationships. You want to build the deepest and the strongest relationship you can with your kids because you want them to choose you. And at the end of the life, you're going to be surrounded by those people that have chosen you. And I hope that they are a spouse, a sibling, a son, a daughter, a friend, because you will be defined by the quality of the relationships that you have in the last days of your life, not by the quality of the relationships you have in the first days of your life. So dig those relationships deep, build those wells deep because they matter. And the only way you get them, Joe, What's is that? time. You got to invest in them. The best thing I ever did was travel with my kids. I started taking them on trips with me. Mm-hmm. And I could do things with them in airplanes and hotels that I couldn't do at home. And I'm so thankful that I did that because that's where the quality of my relationships started with my kids. Now they extend in all kinds of different ways. 
but they started with me taking them on trips, traveling with them. There's a, there's a million ways to build relationships and the best time to build them is now. Somebody, I was watching a podcast today and it said, what's the best time to plant a tree? We all know this. It was 20 years ago. What's the second best time today? If your relationship is struggling with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, the best time to have gotten that right is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Start today. Build those relationships. They matter, and they're going to matter when it matters most. Well, Mark, I'm, I'm wrapping up. Anything else we missed or maybe you want to, we didn't cover that you want to add? I mean, I got to tell you, Joe, I just appreciate you having me here. I appreciate my wife who chose to spend the last hour of her life right here <laughs> with me. So thank you. Thank you, love. That says a lot to me. That's, that's quality of, of life right here. She could have been doing a million other things, and she chose to be here with me, and that's not lost on me. And I spent the hour before this hour with my oldest son, who's 22, and just just pouring into his life. And yesterday we poured into our youngest child. And the day before that, we poured into our oldest daughter. And so, you know, so we're trying to live every piece of everything that I'm sharing with you here tonight. And all I would end with is this, and that is, I am only the man and the husband and the father I am because of the mentors I had in my life. You need mentors. That's why Kevin Harrington and I wrote the book, Mentor to Millions. That's why I shared with you earlier the URL, getmtm.com, because mm -hmm. I believe every person listening here needs the right mentor. But I'm going to tell you something, Joe. You don't only need the right mentor, you need to be the right mentor. If you have the right mentors in your life and you are the right mentor in your life, life, then you will impact millions of people in your life. And that's why we named the book Mentor to Millions. Millions has nothing to do with the must to do with impact. You have the right mentor, you be the right mentor. And when you die, your legacy will be measured in millions. And I want every person listening to impact millions of people in their life, just like Zig Ziglar did when he impacted 250 million people. It was because of how he lived his life. It was because of the mentors in his life. It was because of the kind of mentor that he was in his life. And by the way, Kevin Harrington, the original shark from Shark Tank, the guy I wrote this book with, mm -hmm. his mentor was Zig Ziglar. Oh, wow. We met because the son of Zig Ziglar introduced him and I. So I talked about Zig Ziglar here. Well, here's the great reveal. I never met Kevin Harrington outside of Zig Ziglar. Tom Ziglar, the son of Zig Ziglar, introduced me to Kevin. So our mutual mentor, Zig Ziglar, who died before we ever met each other, is the reason we met. And it's the reason that Kevin Harrington became a mentor of mine. It's the reason I'm on your podcast here today. So if you don't believe that you can exponentially impact people because of the mentors in your life, I'm living proof. And so is Kevin Harrington. And so is Zig Ziglar. And so is Joe Foley. Well, thank you much, Mark. Um, anybody with any questions and want to connect, reach out to you. How can they connect with you? MarkTim.com. M-A-R-K-T-I-M-M.com. Go there. If you want more resources on family, I got free resources on how you can win at home and win at work. I've got resources on family meetings. I've got blog posts about all the stuff I've talked about here. So MarkTim.com. That's how you connect with me. Go to GetMTM.com. Get our book. 
live it, learn it, love it, and start living a life of exponential greatness because you are the right mentor and you have the right mentors in your life. Thank you, Mark. All the links will be in the show notes. I really appreciate you. Thank you much for being on the podcast tonight. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate you, man. Wrapping up this episode, I want to thank Mark Timms for being the guest on the podcast. You can find more about him over at marktims.com. And everything else we talked about will be in the show notes. All the links we mentioned will be in the show notes. You can find all those links over at nosittingonthesideline.com slash nine eight. Hey, leave a comment. Hey, reach out. I'd like to hear what you have to say. You know, just say, hello, Joe, how are things going? Or I really like this episode. Or, hey, you could have picked, you could have picked a better topic. <laughs> Whatever. I'm, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. And also, if you have any, um, want to reach out to me on any social media links or anything like that, if I'm more information, no sitting on the sideline.com slash contact. Hey, also, I was thinking, if you have an opportunity, subscribe to the email newsletter and you get updates about the podcast or anything that comes up that you might, I think you might find interesting. You can find more of that information at no sitting on the sideline.com slash subscribe. And that'll bring you right to the email newsletter. Well, thank you for listening. Until next time, take care. Give your kids a hug. Wait a minute. I know you, I always tell you to give your kids a hug. But maybe also try this. Before you give them a hug, call somebody and ask how they're doing. Or write an email or write a message, or message in the messaging, anything like Facebook, whatever, and ask how they're doing. Because you know what? That one simple um, communication can really make brighten somebody's day. Until next time, take care. God bless. See ya.